This morning's text is located in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And I invite you to follow along in your Bible, or the Bible in the pew pocket in front of you as I read Acts 2, 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound came from heaven, like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and wondering, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, saying, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yea, and on my men servants and maid servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and manifest day. And it shall be that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The last two weeks now I've tried to address in one of those weeks the older people among us and in the other of those two weeks the younger. From Leviticus 19.32 and from Psalm 71.18 I tried to say Older people are to be prized. Older people are to be mobilized. Older people are to be evangelized. And from Jeremiah chapter 1, I tried to say that the typical hesitancies and fears and anxieties and obstacles that stand in the way of younger people throwing themselves into leadership and ministry are to be overcome, Jeremiah says, by the sovereignty of God in his choosing in his consecrating, in his forming in the womb, and by the authority of God in his word and in his sending, and by the promise of God that he'll be with them 
to the end of the age. And now today, I want to gather those two together and talk about old and young unified in ministry under the blessing of the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 2, especially verse 17. Let's get the situation clear. In Acts chapter 2, an amazing turning point in history is happening. The Son of God, the King of glory, has come to earth. Unspeakable incarnation. He has taught. He has lived a pure life. He has died to get victory over the evil one and to ransom for himself a people from all the nations. He has risen to vindicate all of his claims and given indomitable hope to those who believe in him. And then, in Luke 24, he said now to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power. He said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be witnesses to the ends of the age. He said in John 14, verse 16, I will send the Spirit of truth, the counselor, to take my place when I'm gone. He said in John 16, verse 8, I will send the Spirit. He will convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, Jesus pictures history as hovering on a great brink here. He has come. He has finished redemption. He is promising that just in the next short time, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out and a new time is coming. That's where this text comes, right in that turning point of redemptive history. A chapter of the Spirit is in the offing. It's going to be a chapter of the empowering of God's people and the convicting of sinners. It's going to be a chapter in which the gospel of the kingdom is spread to all the world as a testimony to the nations. Then the end will come, according to Matthew 24, 14. So the 120 disciples are waiting. They're waiting. They're obeying the Lord. Wait until you're clothed with power. And they're waiting. In the upper room, they're praying. And then in chapter 2, it happens. The Spirit comes upon them. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And according to verse 11, their mouths were therefore filled with the mighty works of God. And they spoke them in languages miraculously that everybody there could understand from all those different nations. And so the promise that Jesus had made in many different places is now being fulfilled. Saints are being filled with the Spirit for witness. And sinners are being convicted of sin. You want to see that? Look at verse 37. At the end of this speech that Peter gives, verse 37 of chapter 2, Now when they, the people to whom he had been speaking, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And said to Peter and the rest, Brethren, what shall we do? So there you have it. Two things that were promised. I will pour out my spirit and you will be powered for witness. 
I will pour out my spirit and convince the world of sin. And here is Peter bold and sinners humbled. It's a day of fulfillment. Now, some people thought the explanation for this event was drunkenness. You see that in verse 13. Some people said, they're all filled with wine. That's why they're all talking like this and all excited about whatever they're excited about. They're drunk. And Peter gives a very different interpretation. And I want to read the two key verses that we'll look at this morning. Verses 16 and 17 again. Peter stands up and says, no, it's not drunkenness. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel hundreds of years ago. And in the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So what's happening at Pentecost is the opening of a new chapter of world history. And you and I live in this chapter of history. And I want to describe this morning three characteristics of this chapter in which we live so that we understand our times. What is the meaning of the time in which we're living today? Because that's what's being described here. We live in these last days described in verse 17. And I want us to see each of these three meanings with the focus of old and young, old and young, old and young. You see in verse 17, it says, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Not the one or the other, neither left out of this blessing, both together, sons and daughters, old and young, servants and masters. You see the kind of things the Holy Spirit is going to be doing? He's going to be drawing people together in ministry, not pushing them apart. In ministry, He's going to be drawing them together in ministry and making us one in a perfect harmony and rhythm of ministry. When the Holy Spirit comes, he fills all. He gives gifts to all. He calls all to minister. It is not of the Holy Spirit when the old and the young divide. And when they say, I'm not called to ministry yet, or I am no longer called to ministry. Mark it. If that's happening in a life or a church, it is not of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit pulls old men and young men, men and women, slaves and masters together in ministry. It is never too old to minister, never too late to dream, and never too early, kids. Kids, never too early to dream about serving Jesus. Well, here are my three characteristics of this age in which we live. Number one, it is the final chapter. And I'll tell you ahead of time, they're all going to begin with F so that you can remember it, because it helps me remember it. Three characteristics of this chapter of history, beginning with F, and the first, of course, is it's the final chapter. Verse 17 again. In the last days, notice the word last days. In the last days, it shall be, 
declares the Lord. Peter's saying, that's what's happening here. Last days are happening here. That's where we live. Over in his first letter, Peter said many years later, this about the coming of Jesus. First Peter 1.20, Christ was destined before the foundation of the world, but he has been made manifest at the end of the times for your sake. When Jesus came, that was the mark of the end of the times. Paul said the same kind of thing in 1 Corinthians 10.11. He was looking back over the history of Israel and relating it to the present. And he said, these things about Israel happened to them as a warning. But they were written down for our instruction, us upon whom the end of the ages has come. So Peter taught it, Paul taught it, Jesus taught it. When Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose and sent the Spirit, that was the inauguration of the end of the age. We live in the end. We live in the last days ever since Jesus came. And immediately people began to object in Peter's own lifetime, where is the promise of his coming? It's been 30 years. Well, it's been 2,000 years. And Peter had an answer ready. He gave a bunch of answers in Second Peter 3. Let me give you two of them. He said, forget not this one thing. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Second Peter 3.8. Second, the Lord is not slow as some count slowness to come, but is patiently gathering people from every nation lest they perish in unrepentance. Mark it. Don't mock God's timing in the last days. It is love. To this fallen world. What it means to live in the last days is this. First, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that the next great epoch making event is, say, another flood or a choosing of another Abraham or another great exodus through a divided sea, or another keeping in the wilderness, or the giving of another law, or the entering of another promised land, or the period of another uh, Christian kings, nor another exile in Babylon, nor another great redemption, nor a coming of another Messiah, say, in quietness to live and die again. None of those things. Those chapters are closed in redemptive history. What it means to live in the last days is that the next great epoch-making event on God's calendar is what's said here in verse 20, the great and terrible day of the Lord, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come. That's the next event on God's epoch-making event calendar. We live in these last days now, and very soon there will be an event that will close it. And what the closing means is no more conversions after that. None. The last chance will be gone. The sheep and the goats will be decisively separated. Those who have loved Jesus Christ and trusted in him and followed him will enter into glory forever and ever. And those who have rejected him, loved the world and lived in unrighteousness will be sentenced to just and everlasting condemnation. That will be the mark of the end of the age when Jesus comes. 
We live in the last times and we are preparing for the last great event of history as we know it on God's calendar. Old and young together in this age. And I would just say to us all, old and young, if our minds are filled with the awesome significance of the time in which we live, that filling of our mind will cover a multitude of frustrations and insignificant differences between us. It's when your mind is not filled with the great things of God and His purpose in the world that you start nitpicking about tastes and times and places and differences. But when our minds are united, old and young together, in what this time means, we will not be rent asunder. Note that word filled that I used. If our minds are filled, that's my second F. The first mark of this chapter in which we live is that it's the final chapter. The second mark of this chapter in which we live is that it is a chapter for fullness. Fullness. That's the word you could jot down. I get it again from verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, declares God, I will pour out my spirit. Now, when it says pour out my spirit, he doesn't mean to be spilt on the ground. He means to to fill a cup, to fill a heart, to fill a life, to fill a church, to fill a city, to fill a nation, to fill a world. That's what the pouring out is for. And the reason I feel justified in saying that is verse 4. That's what happened to those first 120 In verse 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the other reason I think it's warranted to say is because in Ephesians 5.18, Paul commands every believer in this room, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit have that kind of effect on you, not wine. Isn't that an interesting parallel to what happened right here in Acts 2? Some thought they were drunk. And Peter said, no, they're filled with the Spirit. And Paul said, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that parallel before? And another place was in Ephesians 3.19 where Paul prays for the whole church and he says, Oh, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. This age in which we now live is an age for old and young to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an age for fullness. It's never too late and never too early to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus meant old and young when he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They're going to be filled. They're going to be satisfied. Paul had both old and young in mind when he prayed that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. Jeremiah had old and young in mind when he said, if If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. If you were to ask me, well, what is this fullness? What happens when fullness happens? You know the answer that I would give you? I would say, could it be that the reason you want to know ahead of time 
what the fullness will be when it comes is so that you can decide whether or not to seek it. Decide whether or not to obey. Let me, let me, let me hear ahead of time, God, what you're going to do with me when you fill me so I can decide whether to obey the command to be filled. I want to check this out first. Could that be why you want to know? I hope not. But it could be. Test yourself. What I long for is when we all give the answer, I don't know what the fullness of the Spirit might mean at this age in my life. I don't know what it might mean. But I know this. I have tasted enough of Jesus Christ, my Savior. I have seen enough of the glory of God to know I don't have enough of God yet. I don't have enough of Christ yet. I haven't seen enough of God yet. I'm not as full as I want to be. I don't reflect enough of God yet. Come, fill me and do with me whatever you want in my life. I want all of God that I can possibly have in this fallen age in which I live, sinner that I am. Or could it be that some of you would dare to say, I have all of God that I want or need. I am as full as I would like to be. I reflect enough of God's glory so that others see all of God I want them to see in me. Would anybody dare to talk like that this morning? That you have all the fullness of God that you want to have? That Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.19, may they be filled with all the fullness of God, is true of you right now in fullest possible measure? Is there anybody who would dare to say that? And if not then is not the agenda that will unite old and young in this church a passion for fullness? Isn't that the agenda that will unite us? Unless we are so self-satisfied and so presumptuous that we actually look into the face of God and say, Enough! No more! No! A passion for fullness is what will unite us or we won't be united. We will be driven apart and those who are self-satisfied in their present spiritual lives will stand and those who are passionate for fullness will advance and there will be division in the ranks. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians, it must be so that the genuine be revealed. If you don't care to have a passion for fullness, question your commitment to Christ. How can anyone look in the face of Jesus Christ and say, enough of you, no more. Forgiveness is all I want, not fullness. That's a dangerous thing to say. The chapter is final. That's where we live. The next great event is the great and terrible divide of the Lord.
And it is an age and a chapter when God is pouring out his spirit upon all those who earnestly seek him with all their heart and all their soul, that they might have power to witness and be what he's calling them to be. There's one more characteristic of this time. The F is, it is a time for reaching all flesh. You can see that here in verse 17 as well, I hope. And in the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That means that this age is not an age for restrictions. It's not an age for cliques. It's not an age for holding anything in. It's not an age for Americans. It's not an age for Chinese merely. It's not an age for the Koreans. It's not an age for the Canadians. It's not an age for black or white or yellow or brown. It's an age for all flesh to be poured on by the Holy Spirit. And there's an agenda for us there, isn't there? We just don't know the meaning of our time. I mean... If you learn the meaning of your time from television, newspapers, and magazines, you are in the dark. You are walking in the dark if you learn the meaning of the times from the secular media. They do not know the meaning of the times. The meaning of the times is, number one, we're in the last chapter of world history. Jesus is on the way. The meaning of times, number two, is that it's an age for fullness for all of those who'll open themselves to the king. And the meaning of the times in which we live, number three, is that we exist to reach all flesh with the gospel. And if you are content right now with the extent of the gospel in this city and in the unreached peoples of this world, you don't know the time. You don't know the meaning of your own life. The meaning of your life and the meaning of the chapter in which we live in redemptive history is all flesh, all flesh, all flesh shall receive it together. And until all flesh has received the Spirit, we must not rest in Bethlehem. I love S-P-A-N. Spreading praise to all nations. And I mean praise. We'll hear more about this tonight. This is what I want to talk about tonight. When the Spirit filled them, what happened? Their mouths were opened with what? The majestic deeds of God. They just couldn't help but talk about God. I don't care whether we speak in tongues. In fact, I regard that as a fairly minor phenomenon. I care so much whether our mouths are filled with God. That's why these people were struck. They were declaring mighty deeds of God, all of them, 120 of the men and women, declaring the mighty deeds of God for everybody to understand. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon a church and fills a life. Well, let me sum it up. Close with a challenge. Three meanings. I hope you can remember them. FFF, final chapter in which we live. Fullness is meant for all of us in this chapter of history, and we are meant to spill over. Now, let's let's get these last two in the right order. I want to stress this because this is so good. This is what keeps me going in the ministry. Get them in the right order. We are not called by God to sweat our way to heaven. 
with fear, with agony, with uncertainty, with frustration that the job isn't yet done. Let's not have an attitude toward mission like that. We are called, number one, to stand before the fountain of living waters, the Holy Spirit, and say, I'm so needy, I'm so hungry, I'm so scared, I'm so tired, I'm so guilty, I just can't live anymore. Fill me, help me, change me. And when God answers, then you go with overflow. He doesn't mean for mission to be frustrating. doesn't mean for it to be agonizing and burdensome. He means for it to be the overflow of fullness. First, recognize the age in which we live. Then come to God for fullness of joy and power. And then we spread it to the nations. So I just close by saying, old and young, God is calling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's calling us to dream new dreams. Old people, it is never too late to dream a dream about spreading the gospel. Do you realize this? Let me ask you this question. What are the visions and the dreams for? It says, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, sons and daughters will prophesy. What's the point of the visions and the dreams? What are they all about? To get a vision for how to invest in the stock market so you can make more money? Is that the kind of vision that's being promised here? Look, the best way to find out the kind of vision that's being promised here is to read the rest of the book of Acts. I looked them all up. I read them all. Every one of them are about the same thing. The visions are for spreading the gospel. Give you a few examples. Ananias gets a vision. The vision says, go, anoint Paul. He's going to take the gospel of the Gentiles. Peter gets a vision on the rooftop. Go and break through your cultural hangups and get to those Gentiles, Cornelius. Paul, standing on Troas, wondering which way to turn in the gospel, a voice comes from Macedonia and says, come over to Europe and help us. Spread the gospel to Europe. Don't stay there in Asia Minor. Break into Greece, then to Rome, then to Spain. That's what visions are about. That's why God will give dreams and visions to this church. And it ought to happen to 80-year-olds. 80-year-olds ought to stand up in the business meeting and say, here's what God is calling us to in this city. It ought to happen to teenagers. Teenagers ought to stand up in our business meeting and say, I've got an idea. Here's what we ought to be doing to reach young people. Kids, kids, little kids who know Jesus Christ as their Savior could say, here's something I could do at, at school. Here's something I could do in my neighborhood. When the Holy Spirit comes, He comes upon old, young men, women, children, and then things begin to pop in the church when the Spirit is there. And so I invite you, Don't be satisfied with the measure of fullness that you have, young person, older person. Let's be marked by a passion for fullness. And let's pray together right now for that. Father, I just long so much for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit on my life, my family, 
my sons and wife, the staff, all of our council of deacons, our trustees, our missions board, our education board, all of our committees, our officers, all of those who are laboring in small groups, nursery, Sunday school, clubs, choir, and all the manifold ministries that people are doing. Lord, we know we don't have all of you we want. And we're just crying out as empty, hungry vessels. As a heart pants after the flowing stream, so our soul pants for thee, O God. We want to see ourselves empowered and we want to see the unbelieving convinced and convicted and drawn to the Savior and folded into the body of Christ. Do that right now for any unbelievers among us. Any walked into this service not knowing and loving Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, convince them and convict them. This is the only way to glory, the only way to a clear conscience, the only way to a meaningful and rich and full life with God. And fill us all for the needs we have. Lord, we just cry out to you for it.